Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 271 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Jill Miller. Yay, Jill Miller's back on the podcast. It's been a few years since Jill and I have been able to have a conversation, and I was just so excited that she made time for me for this conversation because she is in the middle of writing a book. Let me give you a little bit of background on Jill. She is the co-founder of TuneUp Fitness Worldwide. She's the creator of self-care fitness formats, Yoga TuneUp, and The Role Model Method. And she's the author of the international best-selling book, The Role Model, a step-by-step guide to erase pain, improve mobility, and live better in your body. Jill has presented case studies at the Fascia Research Congress and International Association of Yoga Therapy Conferences, and she just has this ability to translate complex physiological and biomechanical information into accessible, relevant moves that help her students transform pain, dysfunction, and injury into robust fitness and and wellness. I recently saw Jill post on social media about the vagus nerve. And as I say in the beginning of this interview, I saw that post and I thought, this is my invitation. I've been thinking about having an interview or a series of interviews about the vagus nerve and or polyvagal theory for about two years now. And I keep putting it off because it's such a complex topic. And I wasn't sure of what inroad I wanted to take. The inroad that we take today is Jill's recipe for inviting the vagus to come online. So she describes it as turning on your off switch, right? That you can turn on the ability to induce the relaxation response. But let me back up a little bit more before we start the interview and give you more of some textbook definitions of the vagus. So according to the New York Times recent article, the term vagus nerve is actually shorthand for thousands of fibers. They're organized into two bundles that run from the brainstem down through each side of the neck and into the torso, branching out to touch our internal organs. And this is a quote from Dr. Kevin J. Tracy, a neurosurgeon and president of the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research, Northwell Health's Research Center in New York. So The Times goes on to say, imagine something akin to a tree whose limbs interact with nearly every organ system in the body. The word quote unquote vagus means wandering in Latin. Vagus nerve picks up information about how the organs are functioning and also sends information from the brainstem back to the body, helping to control digestion, heart rate, voice, mood, and the immune system. For those reasons, the vagus nerve, the longest of the 12 cranial nerves, is sometimes referred to as an information highway. Dude, this stuff is so exciting, isn't it? I mean, I just can't believe that we are alive during a time where we finally understand so much more about the body. And obviously, there's so much more to understand, but I just still find it very exciting. So more from the New York Times. The vagus is the main nerve of the parasympathetic nervous system. Unlike the sympathetic nervous system, which is associated with fight or flight, the parasympathetic branch helps us rest, digest, and calm down. So this is why we are all so obsessed, or if you are not yet, I hope you will become obsessed with the vagus nerve because being able to access it can give you an inroad to true physiological calm rest, rejuvenation. You know, there's a reason that we that we refer to the parasympathetic as the rest and digest branch. It literally is both of those things. You'll hear Jill and I refer to Dr. Stephen Porges. She refers to a lot of other other scientists and doctors who she's familiar with. But the one that I'm mainly familiar with is Dr. Stephen Porges, because he is the scientist who developed polyvagal theory. So just to give you a little bit of background on polyvagal theory, Porges identified two pathways of the vagus nerve. So he identified the dorsal complex, which is the premammalian pathway. And so when the dorsal vagal response is dominant, we go into fight, flight, 
freeze. Sometimes people will say also flop or fawning. It's really our shutdown pathway. It's when we are overstimulated, overwhelmed, and we become anxious and or fearful. The second pathway of the vagus nerve is the ventral complex. And the ventral complex is what Porges refers to as our safe and social state. So it's the state where our nervous system is calm and we are able to engage with the world and with other people around us. And so that's where we want to be. And he talks about this a lot in reference to children because the way that children display anxiety is different than adults. Adults have the ability to often articulate it. Not all adults, but children are much more likely to manifest anxiety in the response of is behaviors. And so you'll see the fight, flight, freeze, flop, or fawn behaviors in children. And his whole idea is that we want to get children back to the ventral state where they're feeling safe and social and able to learn. So I wanted to just give you that bit of background before the interview begins. And I will put links to Jill refers to two articles on her website about the Vegas. And it also one of them also includes a lot of different exercises. I don't know if exercise is the right word, but things you can do to bring the Vegas online. And then I will also include a link to the New York Times article. And lastly, I will include a link to an interview I did with Roger Cole a few years ago, where he walks through in great detail the baroreceptor response. So, and Jill and I refer to that in the interview as well. All right, I will stop talking now. Please enjoy the interview and let me know what you think. I will see you on the other side. Hi, Jill. I'm so, so happy that you're here with me today. Thanks for being here. I love talking to you, Andrea. <laughs> Good. Thank you. It's been a minute. And I saw it doesn't you feel like it because I'm referring people to your podcasts all the time. And Aww. so I feel, I feel, I guess, um, wired to you. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, and that is one of the nice things about social media that I feel like I've still kept up with you and all the like beautiful, delicious things that you post, which is so nice. And the a recent post that you did was about the New York Times story, New York Times covered the Vegas nerve. And you like to call yourself a Vegas nerd. And I kind of am too. I mean, I've come at it more through Stephen Porges's mm. work on poly because, you know, for me, it was a lot about helping my, my kiddo self-soothe. But seeing you post about that, seeing the New York Times write about it made me think, okay, I've been wanting to do this podcast for a really long time. And I've been scared to start it because it's such a massive topic. But I asked you if you would do it. And you said yes. So thank you for being here to talk about it. And, you know, you and I were just talking before we, we jumped on, like, there's just so many different inroads. But I think the best inroad for talking to you would be kind of, how did you, you know, why is it important to you in the work that you do? And what is your interest? You're writing a book on it right now. And maybe it relates to talking a little bit about the book and what you're going to focus on. But yeah, I'd just like to know your perspective and why it's important. Well, maybe we can start with the almost near present moment, which was that post that I did on uh, social media on the New York Times article. And actually, that was a student of mine on the East Coast who I worked with, um, you know, over many, many years. And she sent it to me in the morning that it came out. And I, I don't know what date. We're talking about two weeks ago, right? Which right now, I don't know when this is going to go up. And it was very recent. And the article was basically uh, championing and discussing the many sort of expensive (laughs) ways that the medical industry has found to help stimulate the vagus nerve in very positive ways for people with PTSD, with epilepsy, with other arthritic conditions through what's known as electrical medicine. And so electrical medicine involves either sending vibrations uh, over different easily palpable regions of the body where the vagus nerve is very superficial or implanting devices into the body that can be electrically stimulated or where you can electrically stimulate the vagus nerve. And what 
you know, what they, what the article didn't mention was just old fashioned stuff like, you know, massage and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and self-mechanical ways of connecting with this nerve. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what they're talking about, or a lot of what the excitement is about the vagus, specifically in this article is about achieving homeostatic balance. So helping the body to promote its own healing resources and a baseline autonomic regulation where you're not spun out of control, right? So when your sympathetic nervous system is in a constant state of vigilance, it ultimately whittles away at our health. It whittles away Mm -hmm. on every system of our health. But if you have a good balance of your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, then you're really toggling toggling your resiliency in a constant, healthy way. Mm -hmm. And so my own interest in the vagus was really through yogic practices from an early age and through my life as a trained singer, as a a young child, I I found really natural ways of Xanaxing myself. I found really natural ways of hitting the pause button on my incredibly a stressed out system. You know, people mm-hmm. who know me, they know I'm very intense and, and I disclose myself as definitely a, a high stress individual, but I certainly have encountered so many practices. I'm now 50 over the last 38 years of diving into yogic practices, massage practices, different breath-based practices, and boy, all, all manner of all the things out there to try to figure out my own relaxation response and stay, you know, stay alive yep. without exploding on, <laughs> on this planet on a, on a daily basis. So that, <laughs> that's really been my interest in exploring more of the neuroscience topics and getting to befriend this nerve in some pretty spectacular ways. And as you mentioned, Dr. Stephen Porges's work came into my life about eight years ago. I had been developing a course called the Breath and Bliss Immersion, which is part of my tune-up fitness programming. So I have eight different continuing education programs that connect with all manner of the movement and therapeutic space. But the one immersion that I had really been wanting to do for the longest time was my immersion around Shavasana, around the novel approach I have to treating breathing through massage-based exercises or through palpation and pressure-based exercises. And so I'd been developing this course for a long time and finally was able to launch it after the birth of my first daughter, Lila, about eight years ago. And the very first time I taught the course, and it was you know, three days of these glorious explorations into the parasympathetic nervous system, into what I call parasympathetic, parasympathetic endurance. Mm-hmm. You know, our bodies are really, are, you know, we seem to train our bodies to run these 26 mile marathons or even super marathons, but really it's only kind of the yoga people or maybe the Tai Chi people that are like, I like running an endurance marathon in the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I like meditating for hours and hours and hours and hours or mm-hmm. going on retreats where I turn myself into a vegetable. And so I was just really <laughs> interested in actually helping sort of all people learn to titrate that balance and yeah. provide novel ways of stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system that weren't just about sitting still because mm-hmm. for many people sitting still or laying still is just about the most frightening thing their body can do. Right. So I launched this program. Here's this is this is where we're getting into Vegas. And and I mentioned the Vegas a couple of times in that program because I'd come across some research here or there. But there was a student in that program. His name is Dr. Christopher Walling. And he was in the process of getting his PhD when he was in my course. And he said, I need to take you out for coffee after this course because you're talking all around and doing all the things that. Dr. Stephen Porges, the creator of the polyvagal theory, and I'm not a neuroscientist and reading neuroscience literature is, oh my God, it's really painful. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's like every type of Google and medical dictionary just trying to help me through this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so the long story is very long, but once I started to dig into polyvagal theory, 
really did help me to understand, just have another lens to look at what were the experiential things that I was doing naturally mm-hmm. to help soothe myself and trying to share those experiences with other people and creating group events where we could really solidify this relaxation response en masse and also mm-hmm. build more novelty and build more creativity around how do we trigger on your off switch. Yeah, I like that in your, I like that in your, in your article that I read, turning on, turning on your off switch. Mm-hmm. It's a great like way to think about it. There's so much in what you said, but you know, well, one thing that comes to mind is when you were talking about being, you know, just a very driven person and that you've had to, you've developed the ability to um, work with yourself out of necessity. And it just reminds me of how often I say to people, those of us who, who do yoga, there's this perception like, oh, you meditate or you do yoga. You must be so Zen. I'm not Zen like you. I'm not calm like you. And it's like, no, we do yoga because we need to. <laughs> we do yoga because we are the least, you know, we're like, I, I don't know. I'm like one of the most triggered people growing up, you know, one of the, one of the most anxious people I know. And thankfully, thank God for these practices because I am more balanced now as a result of many years of doing these things. So that was just funny when you reminded me of that, when you said that. And the other thing that came to mind is just this fascinating, you know, I've thought about asking Porges to be on the show many times and I always feel a little intimidated. Like I'm going to have to, like you said, I'm going to have to pour over, you know, all of this neuroscience to try to connect with him. I don't know, maybe after this interview, I will try to connect with him, but I want to say to him, like, have you ever done yoga? Do you do yoga? Do you do embodiment practices? Because it's really pretty fascinating that, you know, the yogis created the foundation for this work. Like there's just such a confluence and and it wasn't identified directly in the yoga texts, at least as like, you're stimulating your vagus nerve. But I mean, I think that the reason this tradition has survived as long as it has and has kind of morphed and, and evolved is because of Shavasana. Is, well, I, I think he he ta- he addresses this himself. He says that embedded within religious rituals, embedded within things like yoga and specifically prani- pranayama, there are. Oh, he does nat- talk about pranayama. You're right. You're right. Natural autonomic explorations that create not only self soothing but also community building. Mm-hmm. So you have these features within yoga and also religious ritual that include, I'll, I'll, I'll try to sort of mix his words with my words, but in there's position. And so position, a position that will, we have to get into some physiology here. You okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. So a position that will flip on heightened parasympathetic dominance that will trigger the vagus's impact of slowing down the heart rate and slowing down the breath rate is a position that puts the head lower than the heart, lower than the mm-hmm. pelvis. So for mm-hmm. example, a forward bend or a child's pose, or you can even think of like Viparita Krani Mudra, uh, also known as waterfall pose or legs against the wall pose. You know, so this sh- is the, this is what triggers the baroceptor reflex. Baroceptor yeah. reflex. Okay. Baroceptor reflex is what I'm referring to. Yes. Because I, I have a whole podcast with Roger Cole from years ago Roger! on that. Yes. So I will link to that because that's a really helpful one. But when I saw that in your article, I thought, okay, I remember this. I remember this because I did this with Roger. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So the baroceptor reflex, and I definitely learned about the baroceptor reflex originally from Roger Cole. Gosh. I don't know, 25 years ago or something like that. Like, yeah, he's, he's a sleep scientist. So, you know, yeah. the sleep scientists, they've got to know what are the things that help a body to sleep. And also in his research, and I, I quote him in my new book. So I have a book coming out called Body by Breath that really covers all this material. I, If I'm remembering correctly, I think he said that the angle of inclination of head below heart only needs to be something like eight degrees. It's a very, very small incline. So it's not that you need to do shoulder stand or headstand to read the benefits of the baroceptor reflex. You really right. only need just a very small um, angle. Like bridge. Yeah. 
a, a bridge, but this is going to be a passive bridge where yep. you're, where your uh, your muscles your, are not being charged with sympathetic tone. So yep. to maximize this baroceptor reflex, and you, oh my gosh, we're going all over the place here. But let me explain the baroceptor reflex, and then we'll get back to some of the the features that are you know naturally in yoga practice and religious ritual that poor just says are you know positional influences of vagal dominance. So if you are in any of those shapes that I just described, what happens is you have pressure sensors in the carotid arteries on the side of your neck. And these pressure sensors start to sense that because you're upside down, gravity has an effect on the movement of blood. It's not just your heart that's affecting the movement of blood, but it's your, your position all the time is affecting where blood is pooling in your body. And so if you're in this upside down ish shape, more blood starts to rush towards your brain and your body is extremely stealth at navigating how much blood is allowed in the brain at any given time, famously known as the blood brain barrier. And so once those pressure sensors in the sides of the carotid start to sense that there's blood starting to migrate this way, then those pressure sensors, which are threaded with fibers of the vagus nerve, does a very quick feedback loop to your brainstem. And all of a sudden the brainstem says, slow down the heart rate, constrict the blood vessel, slow down breath rate so that that amount of blood is not going to be allowed up into the brain. And that's one of the ways that we can corral our relaxation response very easily and for free. Like this doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything. You don't even have to change your breathing. It's just your position. Also along with that, extending the um, exhalation is often um, sounding with that extended exhalation. It's also a host, a hostess ship of the process. So when we have physiological experiences that are odd or strange and our body may not be used to downshifting, right? If we're, if we're used to go, 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 the downshift may, we might actually start to feel strange visceral experiences or strange visceral pain, a running of sensation in the gut, or even just a strange feeling in our heart. All of these are conveyed through the vagus nerve. And so being able to communicate, I'm a safe place. I allow relaxation in this home. My body is a home for relaxation. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of perspective shift or some kind of, of deliberate welcoming of the feels from the body. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have, you'd have to invite a psychologist on the, on the program. But as a, as a yoga therapist, you know, I try to set up a situation where my students can invite and welcome the experience of their body, no matter what that, what the body is saying or talking. One of my students, Stacy Jackson, she's a yoga tune-up teacher and a trainer. She said just very beautifully one time in one of our trainings that the Sankalpa or the mindset that she works with is I am listening. Mm. And, and I just thought that was really beautiful because the body is always talking and we have a really great way of shutting it out <laughs> of the mm-hmm. conversation. And mm-hmm. so being welcome to the table is an engagement of sociality within one's own body. Mm. And poor just talks a lot about sociality and co-regulation as being tantamount to a highly, a well-functioning vagus nerve. And so who better to invite to the party than yourself? Mm. That is so, oh, I love that. I love that. I've, I've been kind of posting more about meditation lately because it really is just, I don't know, it's where I am at. And so I've tried to talk about that a lot. This is about developing. It's not just about sitting and watching your thoughts and feeling like, oh my God, my, my, my brain, my brain is so busy. What's wrong with me? Why can't I be with it? It's about just developing a relationship with yourself and, and trusting that relationship and being happy in that being accepting of that relationship, being accepting of your home, being, ah, yeah. I just think back to my teacher, Sally Kempton and my meditation teacher and how anytime I would talk to her, how are you? She'd say, I just, just great. I'm just meditating a lot. And she just loved being in relationship with herself. It was her primary focus and it was comfortable and happy and, accepting and like you said, listening instead of like battling. It's just a, it, like in a, it's really just a mindset shift. That, it is that a, it's a it. mindset shift because I mean, 
especially if you weren't listened to as a child or if your emotions yeah. were not supported as a child, you're the first one that's going to also disallow and disavow and, you know, punish yourself for having feels, you know, totally. or dismiss them. So I think it's a really important and powerful aspect. And um, I guess if you, if, you know, I, I actually have kind of a recipe for sort of welcoming the Vegas to come online. Do you want okay. me to, to talk? Yeah, to absolutely. That? Let's do that. Yes. Um, so I call it the five P's and it's the five P's of the parasympathetic nervous system. And there's also some bonus P's that we can, we can discuss also, but if as a practitioner, you are welcoming or setting up circumstances where these five P's can be a framework, you can almost guarantee that you will have a parasympathetic dominant response. And when I say parasympathetic dominant, what I'm really talking about is helping you to modulate your sympathetic nervous system, right? So sympathetic nervous system is not a bad thing. It's, it's really Mm -hmm. important. It's why it's how, it's how I'm able to sit up right and talk to you and, um, and, and think my way through complicated thoughts, which I'm having right now. So, but everybody knows the sort of the, the, the edginess of stress that we've all been, we all sit with and that we all experience in our environment that's coming through so many channels and so many different um, stressors in all manner of delivery. So the five P's, and this is very helpful for yoga teachers. The five P's are number one is perspective, which we just talked about Mm -hmm. this top down mindset or sankalpa that gives, that allows you to be a host for your experience judgment-free, welcome it all. Here we are, we're in this together. So that's the adult me saying to this playground of body, let's play. We're here Mm. together. We're Mm -hmm. in it together. Mm -hmm. The second P is place. Place has to do with an environment where the distractions are not going to trigger a sympathetic response. So in terms of the autonomic nervous system, in terms of trying to get to a very relaxed place, it's helpful if you are in a quiet place, you know, free from uh, lots of clanging noises, slamming doors. It's very helpful if you can be in a dim space so that your optic nerve is not supercharged. Uh, place isn't always going to be that. And so sometimes you have to do an additional perspective thing. You have to have an additional magic sauce to will the place to be peaceful, even though it may not be. So you're sitting on a train or you're on a plane, you're among strangers, or you're in an environment where you feel very triggered. Somehow you've got to cast a a zone, like psychic cone around you so that you can actually make the place peaceful, at least for this temporary experiment of trying to downregulate. So number one is perspective to his place. Hopefully it's peaceful. That's another P. Hmm. Third is position. Now in an ideal situation, you're in a place where you can change your position from what we discussed earlier. You're, you're not upright, but you're, you're down, you're Mm -hmm. on the ground. And ideally you can be slightly inverted so that your pelvis is higher than your heart, which is higher than your head. Really, it's about heart higher than head, but it's more comfortable <laughs> to have your mm-hmm. pelvis, to have that cascade of uh, upside downness. Even just laying down on the ground, as anybody listening to this podcast, this is yoga land. So we love Shavasana, probably. <laughs> um, as soon as you lay on the ground, you're also going to get tremendous benefit from just reclining. Yeah. So reclining or inclining are ideal. There are also a number of different positions that you can utilize to create specific pressures into different zones where the vagus innervates throughout the body Mm -hmm. that gets a lot more complex and convoluted and your structure has to be able to tolerate some of these positions. Those are things that I get into in in depth in my, in my coursework in the book. So we have perspective, place, position, and next, and by the way, these are not in a sequence. It just happens to be the five of them is okay. pace of breath. So pace of breath, as I mentioned before, is extended exhalations. Although there are also inhalation strategies that can trigger a parasympathetic dominant 
experience. Uh, one of those is Veloma Pranayama, which I learned recently is built around or the voluntary intention of sighing, right? So in Veloma Pranayama, you stack and inhale, you step it up, you inhale, pause, you inhale, pause, you inhale, pause, then you exhale. And if you're trying to induce a sigh, you inhale, do a second inhale, and this will actually create, uh, stimulate some neurons in your brainstem known as sigh neurons discovered by Dr. Jack Feldman, who's a breath neuroscientist or a breath scientist that, that recently discovered this set of sigh neurons in the brainstem. Our body actually needs to sigh to have basically a second gasp after a full inhalation in order to exercise the alveoli at the mm -hmm. end of the road within your lungs so that there is a regular gigantic motion of the lungs to help expectorate and not allow stale fluids to, to be in the end of the grape clusters. So mm -hmm. we have this natural body-based um, sigh experience, but this is also um, vaguely mediated. So if you do these Veloma pranayamas or these stacked inhalations, these stepped up inhalations, this can also induce a vagal response. So we have extended exhalations, but then there's also the possibility of playing around with our breath patterns to also try to trigger a parasympathetic breathing pattern, even though it's inhalation dominant. So that gets really confusing, but it's kind of cool. But the big picture is extend your exhalations. That'll be good for you. So we've got perspective, we've got place, we have position, we have pace of breath. And then our fifth P is palpation. And of course it's palpation because yeah. I am a self-myofascial release expert. So I, love talking <laughs> I knew we were going to get here. Yeah. Massage. Um, but you don't have to use balls to massage yourself. You can use the floor and pressure. You can use objects and pressure. You can use your own body and pressurize it in different ways to tune down resting tone on your body. Resting tone is governed by your sympathetic nervous system. If I can do things that really govern muscle stretch response that help to flip the chronicness within my muscle spindle defense system, then once I'm able to eliminate that, then the parasympathetic nervous system or the, the vagus will again become more dominant. So that gets really exciting. And that's a whole other podcast, mm -hmm. <laughs> just the palpation mm -hmm. stuff, which you've also talked about with Dr. Robin Capobianco. So those are really the five P's. And then I would say that there's a, there's kind of a sixth P that relates more to the social nervous system. So Dr. Porges also talks about that our sociality, our ability to um, co-regulate and be with other people, especially in a playful cooperative way is another way that we are in a vagal dominant state. And so play would be that sixth P. So that'd be mm -hmm. like a sub P because it's not like play because play also engages our sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Right? We play, can get too stimulated. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's mm -hmm. a really positive stimulation, right? But in order to induce the, the big R relaxation response, we want to have those five things in play. Mm -hmm. Perspective, place, position, pace of breath and palpation slash pressure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By the way, pressure if we can, we could just talk to a, a very common thing that you see out there in the marketplace now, weighted blankets. Oh, right, 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 right. right. So that would be like, oh, I understand that. Oh yeah. When I have like sandbags on my abdomen and my, and my palms, all of a sudden I just feel like, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I like that. One of the things that the New York times article pointed out is that like talking about the vagus nerve is all over TikTok, which I think is hilarious. I had oh, no idea. Great. Yeah, we're I know. I had to TikTok with this podcast. <laughs> I can tell you right now. But I think they, they started out the story by saying, you know, it's like all over TikTok. It's all over social influencers. Is it really a thing? Oh. And yeah. And so I think what 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 I'm hearing from you anyway is is like this isn't a thing to just that you know to just like I'm gonna I'm gonna instantly tone my vagus nerve. It's, it's something to think about incorporating in your practice, in your day, in your life. 
And so these are five different ways and also kind of interrelated ways to, to, to make that happen. Oh, I can give you, oh, excuse me. I can give you like a 19 set list of ways to, to stimulate your vagus nerve. What I'm trying yeah. to do in this 5P uh, analogy, not 5P analogy, but this 5P recipe is to give your listeners who most likely are yoga practitioners, um, a really concrete way of creating a, a compound pharmacy that will almost guarantee you enter into the relaxation response. Cause there's other things like you can splash cold water on your face and that will, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, all right, but that will also like wake me up. And there's other things that splashing cold water on my face will do, um, or give me an allergic reaction. Cause I'm allergic to cold and I'll break mm-hmm. out in hives, not to poo poo flushing cold water on your face, which initiates something called the mammalian dive reflex. But out here with these, these aren't the only five ways to induce the relaxation response or to get your vagus to come online. But these things are a, like a compound pharmacy that are very, very simple and, and, and tried and true. You know, we could have talked about um, humming and different you know, toning exercises, you know, through vocalization, which we, we, we mentioned in the beginning, I'm just right. trying to consolidate and give you, if you lay down on the floor right now and stick your tush on a yoga block and you start to extend your exhalations and maybe say to yourself, relaxation completes me. Mm-hmm. You're, you're probably going to hustle your way into a, a really nice calm state after right. a good minute and a half to three minutes. Do yeah. you, know what you know what I'm saying? So you don't, you don't have to achieve all five of the P's, but, but think of it, think of it as going to a compound pharmacy with them being able to mix different tinctures or herbs or chemicals together in a way that, you know, you can't get in a standard prescription. I mean, this, this will really send you there. Right. Right. Yeah. That's actually really helpful. The compound pharmacy. Yes. I mean, just going back to the beginning where you were talking about the electric medicine and you know, the complexity of utilizing that kind of a tool. And I think I'm so happy to see that that it's being studied because I do think for certain situations, like you said, for seizure disorders or for treatment resistant depression, um, I've seen also there's some studies for autism, that electrical stimulation that like that level can be so hopefully can be so helpful. But for those of us who just want kind of the practicality of everyday getting in touch, toning, understanding that we can turn on the off switch, it is totally possible with these, you know, with, with all of these many different tactics. So that's exciting. And I know you don't have, like, I know we've, we've already talked already for about 30 minutes, but I would love to know some of your, I've had you on before. People know you're the, you're the ball lady. That's not what you call yourself. <laughs> ball queen. I think they ball call queen. me now. Okay. That's fine. Ball queen. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite practical ways to use the balls? Oh, great. One thing I realized in listening to you just now, we didn't talk about where the vagus nerve is is yes in the body. That's a big omission. I could, well, I was thinking I could do that in the intro, but, oh, but sure. we could, yes. I so th- you could I talk about that. The num the number of organs that it innervates that mo- most of the nerve, about 80% of the nerve is communicating body to brain and mm-hmm. only 20% of the fibers go brain to body. And that the majority of the nerve is also slow conducting unmyelinated and that the, the areas where it has myelination is mostly into the face, neck, and head. Okay. Yeah. And a little bit to the heart. So it's, it's all over the place. That's why it's called the vagus. It's a vagrant nerve. It seems to plug into way too many things and also do paradoxical things, which is, you know, Purchase's theory really outlines really beautifully. So what do I do for my own vagus? The five P's for sure are what I do. I'll start by saying what I do with the therapy balls. And then I will also happily try to translate that to people who don't have my tools, but might have couch pillows or yoga mats 
in their mm-hmm. uh, in their home that can also be used for pressure and for palpation massage. So one of the things that I one of the many things that I do are using my largest ball, which is called the cordless ball. It's an air filled, squishy, grippy ball all over my axis. So the axis is, is everything that's connected to the spine, right? So the neck, the thorax, the rib cage, and the abdomen, low back area. So I'll take the cordless ball and I'll rest it either on the side of the ribs or the side of my waist in a way that's very non-threatening to the body. If you're familiar with my work, if you've you've gone on the Jill Miller or Tune Up Fitness website, you'll probably see a lot of people laying belly down with a cordless ball right in the middle of their abdomen, looking very placid and peaceful. And and I would have to say that that's a very high state of use that most people, when they lay an object into their abdominal viscera, are not going to feel peaceful at all Mm -hmm. because (laughs) the sensations in your viscera which are experienced via the vagus nerve, by the way, are going to send screaming shouts of murder up to your brain saying, get this ball out of here. Is this person Mm -hmm. crazy? Also a ball in the gut doesn't allow your diaphragm to move very well. And your body really likes to breathe. And when breathing is inhibited, all the sirens go off and your heart rate will spike (laughs) and your vagus will go offline. And this is like, emergency. So I say all this to say that even though doing abdominal massage is a vagus exercise, it takes much time to be able to attenuate and acclimate to that kind of pressure in your midsection, both because of the respiratory muscles and their reaction and because of your own organs and their reaction to pressure. And so the solution for that, if you've like, you're like, oh, I tried rolling on those Jill Miller balls and it just hurt my belly. So don't do that. Lay on your side. Because when you go into the side, you start to, in a very friendly way, walk your way into that visceral center in a way that is actually supportive and doesn't feel as invasive. You can also roll up a yoga mat, like, you know, roll it up halfway place it on the side of your waist and um, you'll have less pressure going into the guts. So a gorgeous ball or a couch pillow, a rolled up beach towel, or rolling up your yoga mat actually created a post (laughs) called Matsage, M-A-T-S-S-A-G-E. It was like kind of a joke, but it's not like you can use your yoga mat to massage yourself. Yeah. Um, And so I show this sideline position on the gut sideline position on the rib cage because your vagus is also inserting itself all over your lungs. One of the reasons why we cough, one of the reasons why your body knows to get out of of a hot sort of toxic air environment is because of the sensory the sensory load of the vagus nerve within the lungs. Your vagus is always detecting what air is safe to breathe in the environment and your body is going to be responding to that. But your body is also going to be responding to pressure influences on your abdomen and diaphragm via the vagus, you know, which is why laying on the, the gorgeous ball straight on your abdomen for the very first time may feel very unfriendly. So this mm-hmm. surveillance system of the vagus is, is helping to uh, protect us, but also we want to be able to have good movement of our organs. Sometimes our organs are stiff, uh, stiff or stuck. If we've had um, scar tissue in our midsection from appendectomy, from C-section, or from just chronic digestive problems, we might not really have very good motility or good rhythm between our organs, or maybe our uh, our nutrition has really impacted the health of our organs. Doing visceral massage is a well-known way to help improve homeostatic balance of digestion. Really, when you when you when you look at the Latin nerve of the vagus nerve, the original name of the nerve is the pneumogastric nerve. So this is a lung digestion nerve. Uh, it's not just the wandering nerve; it's the lung digestion nerve. And so anything that sort of uh, um, touches into both digestion and respiration, you're going to be giving you're going to be giving some credits um, to the vagus. But sometimes the vagus is not going to like it, and so you have to adapt to your position so that it can. All right. So I'll do side-lying on the abdomen, side-lying on the ribs, and I'll do different ways of pressurizing the tool and different breath patterns 
and also using the tool simultaneously to train the ribs in upward and downward rotation. And so that basically means um, using the ball as a resistance tool to help my ribs to better express both full inhalations and full exhalations. Mm-hmm. If I want to be able to be a good singer, if I want to be able to be a good pranayama I want to really double down on those extended exhalations. So breath training, using some tool as a resistance force is very helpful. And in the meantime, I'm doubling down on, on, on stoking the vagus with that, those extended exhalations. So I have yeah. a lot of those exercises online for free on our website. I have a whole um, we have two articles, actually, one's covering the vagus nerve and one's covering the respiratory diaphragm. So you can link to those articles. Yeah, I will. Them, there's like 15 free videos that show some of the things I'm talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the third place in the trunk that is very accessible for vagal innervation is palpating the carotid sheath. So as I mentioned, you have these carotid arteries in the side of your neck. They have these baroreceptors in there, um, but they're embedded in layers of fascia that you can easily manipulate by putting the cordless ball against your neck as if you're shaving yourself. Or even if you're just listening to me right now, you can take your flat palm and you can stroke it just past your trachea and twist your neck in the opposite direction. Like you're trying to reach around to touch the back of your neck and you can traction. There's a very famous muscle in the very front of the neck called the platysma. You can think about trying to shift the platysma back onto the back of your neck. It's like moving turtleneck. So good. Yeah. But anyway, that's a really quick way to affect the pressure sensors in the vagus there. And all, and that will also, you know, give you a really quick relaxation response. So that's, those are some of the, there's, thousands of things I do with the gorgeous ball, but yes, then I know you are like an innovator. You're amazing. <laughs> with the smaller grippy balls, there's also, um, you know, very precise places that will press into, to induce what I, you know, I call entering the vagal portals. So one of the other really cool things that Porges has elaborated on is how muscles of the face, neck, and head, and even muscles that help to control voice, voice and vocal expression share source nuclei with the vagus. And so massage of places on the face, like specifically massaging on your masseter, your chewer muscle, massaging the procerus, the also known as the Botox muscle or the corrugator supercilii, the, the muscles that, you know, lift your eyebrows up and make you look yeah. like you have a Wi-Fi symbol on your forehead or massaging. Then those are all governed by the facial nerve, by the way, or massaging your trapezius. So the trapezius is governed by the accessory nerve and the accessory nerve shares source nuclei with the vagus. So just giving yourself that shoulder rub that, <laughs> that everybody wants anyway, yeah. um, has a has an upstream effect of very powerfully downregulating you, not just because it's adjusting sympathetic tone into the muscle spindles of that muscle, but also sharing afferent information into this same general brain region. So there's there's lots of stuff. And you know, we use the therapy balls, but we you can also use your fingers to do general facial massage. I even saw a TikToker. <laughs> It was somebody, it was an Instagrammer, but it was, you know, it had the TikTok. It came from TikTok, yeah. And it was a very, 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 very famous person, millions and millions of followers. And they were saying, to stimulate your vagus nerve. It was one of those (laughs) disembodied voices. I don't know how you get that, but it must be. Oh, right. To stimulate the vagus nerve, rub (laughs) here. And, And it was just somebody rubbing at the nuchal ligament, basically where the trapezius comes mm. together just at the suboccipital region. And she's just rubbing there. It's not stimulating your vagus nerve directly. It's stimulating indirectly. I wanted to type in, that's an indirect, you know, right. but nonetheless, yeah, that's, that's not an incorrect statement. You will have a very powerful relaxation response. And then if you can compound it with the extended exhalations, if you can compound it with your, you're in a safe place with your perspective, you know, you're just doubling down and maybe you mm-hmm. can, say, Ooh, while you're mm-hmm. exhaling. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll yeah. So those are, uh, those are just a few things. That nuchal stimulation. That's interesting. There's a, there's a massage technique, a massage therapy technique called still point massage. I don't know if it's still around, but I did it in college. I had a, that I had some sessions a few times in college and they spend a lot of time on that nuchal area and it is incredibly relaxing. So maybe that's 
that's the background, right? That's the for sure the background of why that works. Therapy, you know, that is right, right, right. Therapy still point all in the same family of really hooking into not, you know, you have to go through the trapezius to get to these suboccipital muscles. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're sharing a, a wonderful relaxation story by, by going in there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I mean this is making me wish that, you know, Stephen Porges has done a good job of promoting his work through his safe and sound protocol that some occupational therapists now use. So when we took our daughter to OT in San Francisco, they suggested safe and sound and we did it over one summer. Now, some people, and just to kind of give people a little background, it's, it's the protocol is kids wear headphones with a a very specific music. And it's like, I I can't even describe it. It's some of its classical music. It it has like, it's, it's gated. It has like a, a, um, a specific pace and then they do just OT exercises, like a lot of cross-body exercises, things with beanbags, um, little little handheld beanbags, things like that. A lot of people will say they've done the safe and sound protocol, and it's like, oh my god, that just changed my child's life. It's almost instant because you you have to do it every day for a certain amount of time and over thirty days. Or we did it over the summer. I don't know that it was the thing that flipped the switch for her, but over the course of that summer, I mean, I did a lot of just consciously taking away external demands from her life, right? There was just, it was a low demand summer is what I kind of called it. And so that included the safe and sound protocol that included the exercises that included a lot of just like quiet time with me. And over the course of that summer, I think she, she really did shift into a completely different like nervous system state. Anyway, I'm telling you all of this because I'm thinking my gosh, it would be so wonderful if somehow you could hook up with Porges because he's already got that line to the OTs. Because when I think about OT, all of the things that you're talking about, all of these different things with the balls, would just be so wonderful for OTs to incorporate with kids who are just kind of born really sensitively wired, you know, as so many of us are. Um, I would just love to, I always bring, I bring up kids on almost every podcast. People are probably tired of me, but I would just love to see this incorporated much younger in people's, in people's lives. I have a colleague in Illinois, Rebecca, I'm blanking on her last name right now. She's an occupational therapist and she attended my breath and bliss immersion and she started experimenting with some tech, some uh, HRV tech along with using my tools with, you know, infants up to 12 year olds and was, and, you know, totally blown away by port. She hadn't been familiar with Porges' material, but she was naturally drawn to this stuff and just started blending it and was getting unbelievable shifts in digestion, diminishing food sensitivities, and also just seeing the numbers change in this HRV spectrum. So I uh, just got the chills thinking about that. She, her, one of her, her stories in my book, her, the story of her child, uh, as well as her own, her own journey um, through trauma. So there were a few years ago, 2018, I attended a, or actually I presented at a conference in Santa Barbara, uh, put on by the United States Association of Body Psychotherapists, who my friend, Dr. Chris Walling ended up becoming the president of that organization. And it oh, just neat. happened that the headliner for that conference was Dr. Stephen Porges. And also Dr. Ellen Shore, who is a very famous psychologist down here at UCLA. And I presented a workshop called probably Vegas Voyage or Diaphragm Tune-Up or something like that. I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of my <laughs> workshop, but, you know, like an hour long workshop where I introduced people manually to stimulate their Vegas through these, these, these different portals that I've been discussing with you and integrating these five P's. And then I... Dr. Poor just spoke, I think the next day and I went in very early into the auditorium and I put my stuff down on the second row, you know, speaker row is the first row. I put my stuff down the second row and he went up and presented his material, which was, I mean, when you see an academic God like that, I mean, I, I, right. I don't think we're God lightly, <laughs> but like an academic mentor to me, just, it was just incredible. And as he's presenting all of a sudden, he just, he kind of like jerks and he grabs his back 
And this is the United States Association of Body Psychotherapists. So you're in an auditorium full of body psychotherapists and there's this collective gasp, <gasps> you know, cause like, I'm sure 80% of them are trained in manual therapy and, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, we gotta, we gotta get up there and massage him. And then he took a sip of water and he went on with his talk and then he did it again. And he took a sip of water and went on with this talk. But anyway, he, what, you know, we noticed. Every, so he sat down in front of me. In the meantime, I have a, a gorgeous ball in my lap and I scratched out, <laughs> wish we had a picture. I scratched out the name gorgeous in Sharpie and I wrote porgeous. Oh, that's great. So oh, I, I love porgeous it. ball, right? I love and so it. when he sat back down, he sat right in front of me. I couldn't believe it. He sat down in front of me and there was an opportunity moment. I said, oh, um, Dr. Porges, I, I noticed that you had a little bit of a back spasm. Here, use this um, ball as a, as a backrest. Yeah. You know, it, it might help you. I mean, I didn't know what was going on with them, but I just thought, well, these things are great, like as back support. I mean. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, just roll on it, but you can use them in your chair. So during the lecture of, so Alan Shore goes up next and he's lecturing and, and I just see Dr. Porges sort of leaning right and leaning left, giving himself a little massage. And then he takes it out and he just puts it on his knee and he's just playing with it like a, a simulation toy for the rest of the. He must've been so happy. That's the lecture. He had a little sim toy and then the lecture is over and he turns around and he hands it back to me. And I'm like, I didn't want to say like, Oh no, 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 you keep it. I didn't want to be obnoxious. But I was like, Oh, and yeah. I took it back. And then during his book signing, I get in line and then I, I hand the ball back to him. And I say, no, this is your gift. This is for you. Um, this is my tool. And of course I wanted to say, hi, I'm John Miller. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have a picture of my friend took a picture of me giving him the ball and I use it in oh. my, when I lecture on um, polyvagal theory and of that moment of connecting with him eye to eye and him receiving the gift of the ball. Anyway, I love it. This I is, love it. So uh, when you say, I wonder if he does yoga, um, I, I do think he's had some experience in in yoga practices. I don't think he's a hardcore practitioner, but I do know that he was also, I believe a, he was a saxophonist or trumpeter. I mean, he was a wind instrument player, or maybe it was clarinet. He was a wind instrument player and very good wind instrument um, player, uh, ended up sort of not going in that direction because it was always based on evaluation and performance. And, you know, he'd rather get evaluated on, on his um, scientific theories rather than his wind, wind instrument playing. But I would love to see that too. I'm in, you know, I'm in deep edits with my book and I do plan on sending it along to his people and hope that I can at least at a minimum have him even look at the cover and say, oh, that looks great. Mm -hmm. Nothing mm -hmm. else. And if I could mm -hmm. potentially get a, a statement of support, that would be the end, end of my life. I would just die mm -hmm. a very, very happy person. But yes, these, there are so many ways that we can um, collaborate and connect on these practical applications through all ages and stages of life. I mean, I have, I have doctors writing me from you know, New Zealand saying they use the gorgeous ball on their patients post surgery, because you have to be able to have a bowel movement for discharge, right? And so they're trying to help people induce um, their bowel movements without using medication. And so there's this one doctor who's been trying different things out with the cordless ball in the hospital beds, you know, and it's like, oh, that's a lot cheaper than putting all the other stuff in your body. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'd really like to see different ways that we can take advantage of what we know about our physiology and using pressure and palpation position, perspective, mm -hmm. pace of breath mm -hmm. to, you know, to bring about really good bowel movements as well as other things. <laughs> <laughs> she's not just the ball queen. She's the poop queen. No, I'm just kidding. Ball and bowel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So Jill, are you back to any in-person teaching these days? Yeah. Do you have anything know, coming just, up? I just had a team from New York, they work in professional athletics. They came out to do my body by breath immersion. So it used to be called the breath and bliss immersion, but now congruent with the book, I'm calling it the body by breath immersion. And so I actually did a private team training here. I have a, my own studio here at the house. And nice. that was amazing to spend three days with them in their context, really targeting athletes with this work. And it really made me well, first of all, I was really excited to schedule this talk with you, you know, the Monday after that, because I'm fresh on the material. 
I get yeah. it. But it was really a different experience to work in a small group with this, I mean, this tremendous truckload of material versus teaching this to groups of 30 to 50. You know, during the pandemic, we migrated. This was the first course we migrated online because it seemed like the most important one for helping people feel welcome in their own home and to be able to feel safe in their body. And I think we did it four or five times and it sold out every single time. We don't have another plan for that because I am so locked in with editing right now. Right. Um, okay. It seems like a never ending challenge to try to get these edits done. So I, I am putting one training on the schedule in November. I'm going to teach the role model course out. It's a two-day course on the therapy ball approach and best practices and evidence-based stuff with self-myofascial release. And that'll be out in Nashville, my first time out there. I'm so excited. And then there'll be things surrounding the book. So these practices that I've been mentioning and talking to you about, I think are really going to be the highlight of 2023 for me once once we know when the book will be published yeah. and we'll organize stuff around that. I did well, just maybe do you a can seven come day back on. Oh, I was going to say, maybe you can come back on like a month before your release date and we can talk again. <laughs> great. Great. We can talk about yeah. the other stuff that's in the book. So I am going to start teaching once a week at Equinox in um, Studio City. They're opening up really near my home and I've, I've worked with them for 16 years and have developed oh, multiple wow. programs for them. And I just don't like being away from people, Andrea. I know. I know. It's we just had really- a not good. Yeah. Maybe we just did a fun, we did a little fundraiser this weekend, just at the little horse ranch. Sophia rides at a, a rescue ranch. And so we did a fundraiser for the woman there because she's had these enormous vet bills. It's just been, it's really hard to keep a rescue horse ranch going. So we did just a yoga class at the ranch and it was just 25 people. It's all we could fit. And it was glorious. Like it was just so, I saw someone who came on retreat with us for years. She lives um, up in Chico. So I was shocked Mm. that she came all the way down. I mean, I cried when I saw her. It was just, I couldn't believe how nice it was to see people in person again. So may we all be able to to get back in the ways that we can and see each other. It's it's really, now we're really grateful for it, which is good. Well, when you think about, when you think about, Stephen Porges's polyvagal theory and his big statement, like there's, there's really two really big ideas, but one of the biggest ideas is that we are meant to co-regulate one another. We -hmm. are meant to live cooperatively. That is how humans thrive. And the removal of that over the past two years, two and a half years has increased our own personal sense of safety and our own vigilance. And that's why the mental health conditions like anxiety and diagnoses of anxiety have been out through the roof during this Mm. course. And that loneliness has been indexed with uh, rate of death and likelihood of death. And so um, from COVID and from other, other comorbidities, right? So our need to be with each other for our own health like if we look at it from a public health perspective, our need to be with each other is for safety, but it's also for our longevity. And I, I think we really need to take that seriously. And those of you who are, I mean, I under, believe me, I understand also the dangers of that, especially for people who are immunocompromised and who are you know, critically challenged with um, mm-hmm. this really novel coronavirus. I mean, it is incredibly mm-hmm. novel and wily and um, disruptive mm-hmm. in so many ways. My my father's an infectious disease doctor and he's been on the front lines with, <laughs> with this miserable virus for the last two and a half years. And it's just an endless puzzle for them as clinicians. That's just a whole like tank, right. That I don't want to set a, a, a powder keg to, but just, if I put that aside and then I talk about sociality and Porges' theory and the vagus nerve and our ability to really be homeostatically at a good baseline, we need to be together. And yeah. so if we try to figure out as many safe ways to do that as possible and make it a ritual, make it consistent, it's very helpful for humanity, quite frankly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's challenging. Yeah, absolutely. It's challenging. It is. It is. 
Oh, my dear. Well, it was so great to have you on and talk about this very complex topic. And I feel like you're so good at communicating complex topics in a really accessible and fascinating way. So, so thanks for being here. And I really do mean it before when you know your release date, come back on and we can talk more about about your book. I would be honored and I would love to send you a copy, obviously, ahead of time. So can I add you to that list? <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, yes, great. I will Pre-readers. feel very special. Yes, <laughs> okay. definitely. Okay. Thanks, Jill. Thanks so much for listening. I wanted to give a quick heads up that there are still just a few opportunities to study with Jason either online or in a hybrid program where you do the in-person portion in London. So there's still a few opportunities in 2022. To learn more, go to our website, jasonyoga.com or sign up for our newsletter, jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. And you can get all the information and the details. You can always email us to ask questions. Email is better than DMing us on social media. I don't know how much he checks his DMs. So if you want to email us, send an email to support at Jason Yoga and someone will respond to you post haste. All right, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs>